and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Coco Casey, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest. Thank you, um, Jules. It was actually really cool to meet you at the um, lunch a few weeks ago for She's the Boss, and this has just come from there, so thanks. It's an awesome opportunity. My pleasure. So let's start off with telling everyone what it is that you do now. Do you want to tell us what your business is right now? Yeah, I've only just really started this business because it's it's been a business that was only able to commence once I healed. Um, I always, right. had, always had it in my head that I wanted to do something with the journey that I'd been on but couldn't figure out what it was and now I understand what it, what it is because it's been presented in front of me, um, which is what happens when you've you know, put it out there. Yes. And, that, uh, and, yeah. And, and I can't wait to hear yeah. about your story. But but yeah. what actually are you doing so now? Because you're I'm talking. Doing, um, motivational speaking, inspirational speaking, um, working um, alongside the Air Force on a high performance and safety team. Uh, we go around to all the Air Force bases and speak about the people I'm working with are Olympic trainers and um, people from the Australian Institute of Sports, sleep doctors. Wow. And psychologist, I'm a sports psychologist, and we go around to the Air Force and, and talk to them about, um, you know, that they're, they're operating at such a high level, so human performance and safety. And I used to operate at that level prior to what happened to me, and um, I think that it's important to let them know that they can extract that. You can extract that um, component of yourself, which is that high achiever, when you've gone through something and use it in a very positive way to, to, to heal. Wow. Okay, so yeah. we're talking yeah. all around the subject. Yeah, it's let's, all around the subject. So yeah. let's just go back and, and start yeah. with your story because it is incredible from the yeah. little bit that I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, where would you like to start, teenager? I mean, I want to take uh, you back to the beginning of your career. So to, oh, it's the beginning of my career. Well, I did, I, as a teenager I was um, very much into sport, which was good. Okay. And, and, and I think it all comes back um the university is weird, I think, because it's like, well, you're doing all of this for a reason because one day you'll need it. So I used to do water polo, um, okay. t- tower diving um, and sort of endurance sports and, and, you know, gymnastics and was just very fit. And then, you know, I got married at 21 and had three kids by the time I was 26. And Gosh, I was, I was wow. A, a, not a good marriage. Um, right. And it was uh, it, it wasn't good at all. That's It was very dark. Very dark. Okay. So I was divorced by the time I was thirty. So I had three kids and divorced. And but I during Whoa. that during that time I went to uni because I knew that because I I initially um, you know wanted to go to university before I had kids, but that didn't happen. I was young and oh, what's going so on you for going back? So I went back to uni at twenty six or and what did you study? I did a bachelor of nursing. All right. So I finished that in uh, 2000 and um, I was 30 that year and that was my key to freedom to get out of the situation I was in, which was not a good one, not a good one for my children to witness. Right, right. So I got out of that through, you know, sticking to my guns and getting that that, that degree so I could go and provide for my own children. I didn't have to rely on him. 
And so, so prior like, to that, were you yeah. working or were you staying yeah, yeah, home looking was, after no, the no, kids no, and I he was, was providing? No, no, I was right. working. I was what working. Were, what were you doing? I was working in the hospital doing uh, things like statistics and okay. and then I started working in intensive care doing all their clerical stuff, their paperwork, and I always knew in my heart that's what I wanted to do, but I kept falling pregnant. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after that happened, then, you know, then um, – after the, you know, I knew even whilst I was pregnant with the third one that, that, that this relationship yeah. wasn't sustainable. So yeah, right. I knew that that had to, I had to keep, so that's what I did. And I, I, I left, left that situation. Um, so what do you do like, when you're a single mum? You've got a new yeah. degree, you've got a new yeah. qualification and yeah. three kids. And yeah. where were you living at that stage? Well, my ex and I, we actually moved to Monavale to try and start a new life, but I knew it was done before that. But prior to that, we were just here in uh, near Penrith in St Clair. Okay, so always around yeah. Sydney. Always so what do you do? Sydney. So so what did yeah. you do when the marriage ended? Did you leave the state or no, no, no? How did no. you get away? I, I um <laughs> oh well, just had to. For the first time, I spoke to someone about it. Right. I, up, up prior to that, I kept it to myself because, like most women, you live in hope that that things will change, and you don't yeah. want to badmouth these people because if they change, then people are going to all, all your business, or it's just, you know, it's not. Something it's, that, of course, it is. It's yeah. so private and and v- yeah, vulnerable as vulnerable. well. So I, I, you know, ended up talking to people, you know, have, have, you know, expressing and and just getting my strength through work through. Uh, learning, learning was, I think, the thing that gave me the most strength because it was knowledge and knowing that I wasn't stupid. I wasn't this woman who had to put up with this crap. Um, I was better than that. And I think every exam that you pass, you kind of go, yeah, or whatever it is, it might have been an exam that you pass. <laughs> Slowly might, building you up, yeah, building up be, your confidence. You might be just, you know, doing some sports. You might be learning a new technique on something. Every time you just make that little bit more of an achievement on that. It gives you the confidence to go, I, I don't need to take you a shit. <laughs> you know? So true. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I, I don't know when so, the big the big yeah, thing so, happened, yeah. so just take me through to just, that. Yeah, I'll get quickly to that because it's – No, no, it's okay. No? Well, through my 30s, life was just ace. It was fantastic. You know, I had the kids half-time. Look, we – we agreed on the, for the kids' sake to live close to each other so they could see us equally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we just uh, knew that the situation was bad as well, so we didn't want to, you know, make it worse for them. So through the 30s, it was awesome. I had, um, you know, loads of friends. I had an awesome job. I was working in intensive care as an um, intensive care nurse. I was working... Um, at the V8 supercars at all the motorsport track races because I love just fast things. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes. I've just interviewed Lisa yeah. Scaife who grew oh, up really? in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grew I, up in that environment too. I know her. I don't know her dad, but I, I've walked in a couple of times when he's been in had his undies on. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's her brother actually. I think yeah. she ran his business yeah. for a while. Yeah. Okay, so you're into motorsport. Yeah, so into motorsport. It's trauma nursing. It's high performance. It's just – and then I – Got a job with Careflight doing international aeromedical nursing, so working on private jets with people that are so critically ill that if we don't get them to that particular hospital at that particular time, you know, they'll die. They'll, they'll die. And, so, but, but how you know, did you even get into that? I didn't even well, know that existed. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Well, I used to see Careflight come in because when I finished my degree, I went and worked in intensive care and yeah. did education and things like that. 
And I used to see CareFlight come in with um, the patients and I'd be looking at the patients thinking that is a challenge. Like, you know, uh, how good would it to be able to get your skill to that level where you can actually help these people that are so critically ill that without those people with that skill, they would not even have a chance. So can you just tell so, me a little bit more about care yeah. flight, though? Is it is yeah. it like flying doctor service yeah, or is, is this yeah. car yeah. accidents and the helicopter that yeah. takes people yeah, off? It's, it's both. Um, right. well, they have paramedics on board as to uh, on board with the doctor and that's the um, the helicopters. There's a couple of helicopters around. There's uh, I don't know if they had injury retrieval team. Well, they have a rapid response helicopter, so most of the times the, the chopper gets there before the ambulance does. Right. And on board you've got the skilled aeromedical people who know uh, working out of, you know, such short supply of equipment in such an intense situation and then taking them airborne and having to calculate all the risks that go along with that, not just the risk of aviation but the risk of, you know, the gases within the lung chambers you know, the effect that it's going to have on this person's um, intracranial pressure. It is an extremely intense job that that, that you have to really focus on and um, with the ultimate goal being that if you come across people in a really bad situation, you know, they can live. Yeah, incredible. They can live, you know. So, so, uh, yeah. so you were actually in those flights, were you, by the time? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. and, and sort of landing in car accidents and things no, like that. Or, I did. Or I did bigger? international. No, no, no. I did international air travel, which was. I mean, I, we used to go um, with them sometimes on the chopper, you know, to, uh, you know, situations like that. Right. Then I would do work with the um, Australian Defence Force. We had contracts with them as well, working. Um, you know, this, when, what's What's going on in the background? Oh, they're training. Oh, sorry, Jam. Oh, it's my it's my cat. Sorry. Oh, is it? Oh, no, yeah, it just yeah. was sounded so noisy. Um, yeah. So I'll ask you that question yeah, again sorry. just so they can go back and edit. Yeah. So um, so you're actually in those planes that are going yeah. to those places? Yeah, yeah, like at least, um, you know, a few times a month I'd probably get to go to – we'd either go to – Numea had a, had an agreement with the Australian government for anybody who needed head or heart surgery would come right. to Australia. So there's that one. In Numea there was also – Places like Bali where Australian citizens come off mopeds, smash their heads, uh, so they have right. to come back to us, um, transferring from hospital to hospital, transferring, um, you know, really, really sad stuff. You know, young guys that have gone to Darwin on holidays and been in a motor vehicle accident and, and you know. Smash themselves up. Smash themselves up. They're now, you know, paralysed from the shoulders down. You've got to take them home to New Zealand and they're, you know, on life support. A lot of them were critically ill. Like most of them were on ventilators, and yeah, it was. Um, but that sounds it was, it was so. A, so it was an awesome job. It was. Yeah, great, you can make a, a difference. Great team of people, and everybody had the same passion. Everybody, there was there wasn't one person in that place who wasn't passionate about what they did. Right, and I, and I think that that is something. You know, if you ever you know try to interview people, it's not about. I don't think the paper. It's about the passion. It is uh, absolutely. It's about, it's about both. It's about both, and I think so, now you're right. You just need to look in these high performance places to sort of, you know, see how how do they make that work. You know, for instance, like that horrible collapse that's ha- happened in Miami. The team that are working on that, yeah, god awful, would be the most passionate people. 
And that's why what they're doing works. Well, I know. I, I actually read something yeah. or saw something where a whole lot of the guys had gone into the into the basement yeah. that was flooded to drill yeah. up through the roof, which could yeah. collapse on them at any, any moment yeah. to get people. I mean, God, yeah. it, the, the stress on your body must yeah. be enormous. enormous. Okay, but you yeah, loved yeah, it. So I loved it. And, and I was at my peak. I was 39. And, you know, my kids were, what, 16, 14 and 12, so getting a little more. A little bit easier. A little bit. <laughs> a little and bit then e- what happened? Yeah. Well, and then I um, I remember being called out one night to go on a flight. Oh, and it wasn't my shift. I wasn't on call. And right. um, the coordinator called me at 9.30 at night and he just said, look, we've got no one else that can do this. The guy that was supposed to do it had to go and get his kids. And I was like, oh. I said, can you try once more, just another 10 minutes? And so he tried again. Then he called me back and he said, no. He says, we've got. Um, no one you're going to have to go if, you know, I said, okay. I said, but look, I haven't had sleep because it's not my shift, so I didn't sleep. So. Sleep, yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, I, I went, jumped in the car and drove to the Care Flight base, which is at Westmead, and, you know, the doctor and I met there and we dumped the car and picked up all the equipment that we needed from the information that we knew about the patient and we were going to Samoa to pick up an Australian citizen. Right. And... Um, so we, we got everything ready and, you know, jumped in the, the little care flight truck and went to Mascot Airport and jumped on the private jet, um, which was... So just the two of you and the pilot? Yeah, and the co-pilot, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's a private jet that's decked out like a um, like a little mini hospital Hospital. Bed. Yeah, so, um, yeah, got on there, did all the equipment checks and everything and off we went and... Um, that was 9.30 at night, so we stopped at North Oak Island for a fuel stop and then carried on to Samoa, and I think we got there about 6 a.m. in the morning and it was a fine day. So they checked into the hotel. The doctor and I went and got the patient. Well, we stabilised her first because she had um, she had a botched hysterectomy over in um, oh, no. Samoa, and she was only 49 and, you know, she was becoming quite infected and septic so we needed to get her back quick smart before because septicemia is a very nasty thing that can happen but she was very stable we just gave her a whole stack of stuff and marked her out and um took her back to the airport and uh i remember saying to the pilots like we we're good to go she's okay like and um so we you know put her on on the jet and uh yeah just took off (laughs) And, um, thinking and then what that, yeah, happened? Everything was fine. And I remember the doc, because I was so knackered, I said to the doc, I said, I'll do scissors and paper rocks with you for the back seat. I said, because I'll sleep for the first three hours because she was quite stable. We weren't, like, constantly going at her. So yeah. I slept, slept for the, uh, I said, I'll sleep for the first three hours to Norfolk and then I'll take over and you sleep for the next three hours to Melbourne. It was like, cool. And I was like, okay, so scissors paper rocks. And I got the back seat. Right. And um, so I decided to try and have a bit of a snooze and I <clears throat> had, you know, probably about an hour and a half or so. And then I remember <clears throat> sort of waking up just before we were coming into Norfolk Island and sort of I was just tapped on the shoulder. I said, where are we? I said, how far out? He says, oh, we're going to start to um, descend probably in about, you know, half an hour. I said, okay, cool. So I was just sitting there talking to the patient and making sure she was okay, checking all the wounds, preparing her for you know, just tight, tight, yeah, or tightening her up for the landing because we were going to Norfolk for a fuel stop. Yeah. And then back on to Melbourne. And um, 
so I was just tightening her up for to come in for landing and um, <laughs> and as we were flying, uh, we started to descend and I, I remember looking out the window and thinking, oh, it's a big storm, like it was jet black. Ah, right. It was absolutely jet black. Usually you could see the lights of Norfolk Island or you could see something or the, the stars or the moon and there was nothing. It was black and <clears throat> I remember seeing lightning and the plane was rocking a little bit because the wind was so, so you know, strong. And I was like, "Oh shit!" So, and anyway, we came um, towards Norfolk Island, and we uh, went came into land. And as we came into land, the jet just uh, came down, 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 then just went back up again. And I heard the engines roar up again, and I thought. Ah, oh, we've we've missed that one. That's okay. Like we've had missed approaches before. It's shitty weather. Like this is this is nothing to nothing. be worried about. So anyway, we went around again and came down again, and nope, couldn't land. So took off again, and I started. So what was happening? The wind was getting up underneath the plane and, and pushing was, it back up again. Yeah, no, there was no visual. Right. I, I couldn't see a thing. That the storm was that low and thick. That the cloud cover was just. You got to remember, you're at them. You're a speck of speck of land in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, it, it's yeah. So really dangerous. Really dangerous. Yeah. So after the second one come up, I thought, okay, well that hasn't happened. Haven't experienced that before. So I started to get a little bit of a belly flip. Yeah. And then the third one, I th- we tried again, and then there because the cabin, the ca- cockpit doors are always open in the private jets, so we can alert the pilots if something's happened to the patient, and we need to drop down to sea level and fly. Right. So on the third one, just before the third one, the cabin doors closed, and I was like, "Ooh, that's not that, good. That doesn't happen, you know." And I was like, "Okay." So we went around again, and we're coming into the third uh, landing. And it didn't happen again. And I thought, we're, 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 we're in trouble. We are in real trouble here. Like, yeah. And um, as the plane was ascending back up, the cockpit doors just belted open and um, the co-pilot turned around and said, uh, we need to ditch in the open ocean, get your life vests on. Um, oh, not, my God, Coco. We're not going to land this thing. And I just remember looking at them thinking, are you for real? You can't right. mean this. Are you for real? Like, really? And, um, yeah, I thought, no, we're gone. Like, it was pitch black. It was a storm. You know, we're in a private jet. And Oh, my thought, God. No. So, the, you mean, you know, the, I had training um, for underwater escape training and, and this sort of situation, thankfully, from I was doing a postgraduate certificate in um, aeromedical medicine and part of it was ditchings so, right uh, it, and and the doctor had had that training too only a couple of months prior mind you so it was very grateful for that so the doctor um and i we just secured the cabin like we had to make sure that no equipment was going to be a missile on impact you know so you don't want to survive the impact but be not so you've out. really got to keep your wits about you, you your as you're about. going down yeah god yeah. So okay. we made sure that our patient um was strapped in well and, um, 
you couldn't really reassure her. Her husband was on the plane too. Oh God! And um, it was it wasn't chaos. There was no shouting or screaming. It was just um, you got that, you got that, strap that, strap this, and do an eyeball around the cabin and make sure that everything is strapped in. Then you know, get the life vest on. How were you yeah. feeling, by the way, at this stage? I at mean, this were you stage, I was, it was had the all, adrenaline calmness kicked in, or no, were you that quite happened, panicky? Uh, not at this stage. Wasn't panicky at this stage. I was. I started panicking when I sat down, put my belt on. Yeah, right. And I had my life vest on, and I looked up, and I remember seeing the husband reach across and touch his wife's hand and say goodbye to her. Oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, wow. And then they just yelled out, brace. So I had to dive into the brace position and um, we just had to wait for impact. Oh. And I just remember the plane still rocking and the jet, the engines on the jet just uh, flared out because we ran out. We didn't, we ran out of fuel. Right. And the, but the, we had a tiny little bit of fuel left in the tank and instead of it flaring out, the pilot made a very wise decision to turn the engines off. Right. So they didn't flame out. So I, I just recall absolutely no sound whatsoever. The engines went and there was nothing. Ugh. And just, you know, skimming across the ocean waiting to hit. And then the alarms on the plane were yelling out, terrain, terrain, pull up, pull up, which meant that we were close, we were yeah. close to hitting. And then it, it hit like concrete. I, I, it felt like concrete, the loudest bang I've ever heard in my life. And um, there were two more impacts. There was, but I don't recall those ones because I was knocked out briefly. But unfortunately, where we came down on the jet was exactly where my seat was in the back. Oh, and God. so we hit the water at 200 kilometres an hour with great G-force and it broke into underneath my seat. So I unfortunately was copped most of the um, impact and was, yeah, knocked. And then I remember opening my eyes and looking up and the emergency exit had already been pulled, so there was water gushing in. Right. The um, the plane was sinking. The patient was still in the stretcher. The doctor was trying to get everything undone on her. And then um, I remember leaning across and taking belts off her feet so that he could drag her out. But yeah. Then, and then um, the lights were sort of flickering. It was very dark and the ocean was very angry and was just smashing the plane and it was rocking. Oh, golly. I know, it's horrible, isn't it? But, you know. It's just, it's just I can, yeah, I've no. seen enough movies that I yeah, can almost no, no, imagine I know, hey, how just, awful it would be. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, it was it's pretty hectic. <laughs> so what do you so, do yeah. when you've crash landed well, in a plane? Yeah, the, and how well, injured were you? Well, I was sore, and I think, and I remember. You're lucky I think, you didn't I break think, your back think, or something. Yeah, I think you need to stay really calm. I don't know that mm. sounds crazy, but my my belts got stuck around me, and I I remember the plane starting to sink, and the water was rising up. It was up to about my belly button by this point, and the patient was almost loose. The doctor was about to drag her out, and I remember thinking, if I don't get my belt off. If I don't get this belt off, it's jammed on because I went up I'm and down. I'm going down with the plane. Yeah, I went up, I went up and down like a rag doll apparently, but, you know, when they thought about yeah. when they did the investigation. So if I don't get this off, I'm, I'm sinking with this plane and in about probably three or four more breaths, I'm going to have to hold my breath and then try and get my belt off and then I'll panic and I was, all that is just 
going around in your brain. Yeah. So I actually put my hands together and sort of collected all that crazy energy and brought it in and instructed it to take my belt off. And oh my, my hand, God. My hands went down and just unraveled and pulled my belt off. And then I swam through the fuselage, sat on the emergency exit, inflated my life vest and, and got out. But my life vest only half inflated, so. Oh, my God. So so how do you get found? I mean, did, did well, was there are people out looking for you? I mean, big storm. Yeah, yeah, big storm. Well, the radio knew we went down, but the beacon on the aircraft didn't work, so they didn't oh have God. our location. Um, and the plane sunk, so there was no debris to look for. So it was just because the plane started to sink and we started to get sucked down and we had to, you know, move away from it. Yeah. So there was three of us um, with life vest and three of us without. Um, oh, my gosh. And the uh, life raft just floated away. We didn't know where the hell it was because it was so violent out there in the ocean. And the waves were coming in face first, back ahead, side ahead. It was just horrible. And my patient had no life vest on, so I held her in my arm. Um, and I had to hold mm. her on the right side because the left side of my um life vest didn't inflate so it was pushing over to the sorry yeah, it was the right side that didn't inflate and every time I yeah I had to put my hand in here to stop it from pushing my head over and right yeah it was crazy and then the pilot had no life vest the doctor had a life vest was helping the co-pilot and the patient's husband has so much water on his lungs from inhaling it that um he, he was really struggling to survive and so we were there for, I remember, after about an hour and a half. After, no! Yeah. Oh, my God, 90 minutes of that. Yeah, after about an hour and a half. my I remember my oh, eyes, were, eyes were starting to roll in the back of my head and I thought, oh. This is not good. This is not good. I, if I let go of her, she'll die. If she dies, the husband will go after her and he'll die. Um Oh God! Please give me just a little bit more energy, just to just to see this through. I want to go home. I want to touch my kids. I don't want my kids to be going to a funeral with an empty coffin. All these things just whizzing through my head, and I had to try and find every single ounce of energy I had to to continue on. And it was only about about twenty minutes later, I um remember seeing a green light coming towards us and the only reason that happened was because about 20 minutes before that we're, the, the pilot brushed past a little torch in his pocket. Yeah. Forgot it was there and he said, oh, my God, a torch. And we said, oh, please work, please work. And he tried to push himself up, push him up, you know, and, and it only worked for about 30 to 60 seconds, that torch. Right. But, but at the same time, a fireman, the search crew were on this side of the island. Yeah. A fireman was on this side of the island and he decided before he got in his car and he thought, oh, look, I'm going to have one more look. Stood on the oh, cliff. my God. Yeah, That's just like a movie crazy, as well. yeah. He stood on the cliff, looked out, saw this tiny flicker of light and he thought, okay, and saw it again and then it disappeared. And so he radioed the boat and he said, look, I've just had a quick look and I've sort of flicked flicker of light and the boat on the other side of the island said well we've got nothing on this side we can't see anything we'll we'll come across and have a look and then as they were coming towards us 
the little lights on the life vest, we were able to shine them up and we were almost seven kilometres out at sea in a storm and with no, found you. no coordinates, they didn't know where we were, no clue. So, um, yeah. God, you are so lucky. So lucky. So, so lucky. So they hauled, you know, hauled us onto the boat um, and took us back to the hospital and I, I mean, look, even in the water I, I knew I was hurt but I was terrified that I was bleeding because we were in shark-infested yeah, waters. Yeah, sharks. We were in the, I remember the Norfolk Island people telling us that we were right near the tip where great white sharks hang out. Oh, God. I was like, okay. <laughs> but we never spoke about it because we knew that that would create anger. Um, yeah. Uh, fear, not anger, fear. So we didn't didn't ever bring it up. If something brushed past our legs like other people or see, we would kind of call it out. But it was pretty scary. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would have been terrified <laughs> yeah. of the sharks. So, yeah, so I got back to Norfolk and, you know, then it was I had to call my family and, and let them know that I was okay because it was, would be on the news the next day, which it was, but they need to, you know. And I think that, to be honest, Jules, that wasn't the hardest part of this journey. It really wasn't. It was try. It was afterwards, was it? Was it was afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. It was afterwards. So what? What happened afterwards? Afterwards, I um, you know, I had obviously you know issues with my spine and my neck and smashed quite a few teeth, um, and have had you know work on my jaw, spine, neck. I've had operations on my neck. I've had you know stimulators put into my spinal cord. I've now got you know cysts all the way up and down my spinal cord um, from my neck to my to my sacrum. I lost my career in a snap, just like that, all of it gone. That, oh, my that, God. That awesomeness. I lost my financial independence um, and I lost my freedom. So oh. in, a, in just a, a, a blink of an eye of and an you're eye. helping other people. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. while you're helping all these other and people. I, I tried to go back. I tried to go back to work a few times, but, you know, the first time I ended up on the floor in so much pain that, you know, I couldn't do it. The second time I had quite bad flashbacks because on the walls at Careflight are obviously pictures of all the aircraft and the actual aircraft that I was on, which was, you know, um, registered VHNGA, which is – November Golf Alpha, and I just looked at it and... <gasps> you went up. <laughs> yeah, I could, my brain sparked back into that situation and I ended up just sort of freezing, so, yeah. So what do you do when all of that's happened, Coco, oh, and you've lost everything? Lost how do you everything. Well, How do you pick yourself back up again after that? I think in the beginning you sort of feel um, a little bit still high on the adrenaline where you are... Well, I lived, but I'm okay, and I'll try and go back to work, and everything's cool. Right. Um, and then, you know, the pain doesn't get better. It, it it ends up getting worse, and I think that that is debilitating when you've been on the go your entire life, you know, in, into sports, into everything. It was chaos, but I loved it. I used to, to go to – Oh my cat, sorry. That's to go, right, that's right. To go into um, the meltdown of life, losing control, losing everything um, from that way of life that you used to have. It, it is. It is. Um, it's. It's like decay. It's like decay on you. On you. Like you're just slowly, just decaying every day. Well. And and then you know. 
along comes all the medications. Like, you know, all of us all of a sudden you're diagnosed with this, you're diagnosed with that, you've got this, you've got that, you need to go and see this specialist. Your entire life well, my entire life was just filled with appointments, doctors' appointments, MRIs, scans hospitals operations um psychiatric oh, psychiatric no. units and and then um court i had to go and fight for my rights because um i had to uh, why what happened were they well, were you yeah. not going to be compensated no, for this no 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 you're well, kidding me well, well they that's you know they did that to my patient um they lucky i had a great lawyer and i've i've got a serious attitude when it comes to injustice as well so i i mean they tried Good. I, the owner of the airline tried to bribe me. You know? um, oh my god! I can't yeah, believe that they didn't yeah. just pay you out immediately. No, 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 I was in court for nine years. Oh my yeah. god, Coco! Yeah, nine years, and I was followed, spied on, watched. Yeah, you, know, you name it. They showed all the footage in the Supreme Court, and I just sat there. I said, "Oh, you were there as well." My, I've taken a photo, you know, filming me there. Well, as me- well. Meanwhile, tell me about the pilots. Yeah. The the pilot and the other yeah. doctor were they? Was this a yeah. class action that all of you were doing? No, or? no, no, no. Because because of where I was sitting, because up the front of the plane, yeah. the impact right. wasn't as bad. But the doctor has he went to court as well. He he used the same lawyer as me because he um, can only work a couple of days a week. Now, because he was, <sighs> he was injured in his lower back, but we had to fight so hard. That is disgusting. Yeah, absolutely the, disgusting. But at the same time, the investigation, the government investigation into the crash, was a complete cover-up as well. Because the the parent company of this private jet was pretty much, you know, a political donor to. Yeah. Right. So anyway, I found oh, uh, that's all right. Just you know what you've got to do. you just got to put your punching gloves on and fight. That's all well, you've now, do. isn't, isn't uh, that a great life lesson? Yeah, that you yeah. just said perfectly what yeah. you've got to do. Yeah. But still, so, so what happened? So once you won the court case, what else yeah. happened? I mean, and then and then you can tell us what you're actually doing now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won the court. A little bit well, more. It took it took heaps, and then I I started getting very involved in the investigation and started ringing international delegates and finding out that it wasn't reported internationally, which it should have been because that messes with our statistics here and yeah. And also, it was a full right. loss, and it was the first time that there's been 100 percent survival rate in a jet ditching into the ocean. A lot could have been learnt from it. But yeah. it wasn't, and and also I, you know, was involved in a Senate inquiry here into aviation safety, and did a lot of work trying to get legislations changed, make it more fair for people who have just got psychological trauma after a plane crash and not physical trauma. My patient only had psychological trauma, and they denied her everything. She lost so much, and she ended up taking her own life. No. Yeah, because she. Oh, that poor woman. She couldn't cope with the PTSD. The lack of treatment that we've got out there in the mental health system, especially for, I think, you know, people who have um, had, you know, obviously quite a normal life and then bang, PTSD like this, her treatment was poor. The way that the courts treated her was a disgrace. The way the government treated her was even worse. Well, it sounds, I mean, even from you having to do it for nine years, what about her husband? Did he? Yeah, he, he, um, he, Obviously, removes himself from this completely. I don't blame him. Right. He lost, lost his wife. Lost. A yes. Lot. Lost a lot. Oh and my so we God. had to go. And, so we got got it reopened. Got the investigation reopened, and um, you know, so now it's uh, it's it's good because I used to be on the phone to the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, you know, screaming down their necks and 
talking to international delegates. I met with the Deputy Prime Minister, who was the, the, the transport safety guy at that time. Just a lot of stuff like that. That kept me going, Jules. That kept me, that, that, that kept the fire in my belly. I needed something to keep the fire in my belly. When you've gone from using your brain all day, every day, to, you know, nothing except medications and opioids and overdoses, you've got to make a decision whether or not you're going to die from this eventually. Or you're going to survive. Or you're going to survive, you know what I mean? So I I sort of chose to survive and fight, and that's that's what gave me the strength to get to where I am now. You are incredible, hasn't it? I mean, I'm sure loads of people have told you, but (laughs) oh, my God. Like I I just can't imagine being as as. I don't know, so sort of happy and lovely as I've met you, which of course is only socially, but um, having gone through this kind of a thing. So um, so where are you at now? Um, well, now I'm just... Um, Injury-wise, are you... Injury-wise, still, yeah. I Look, I have pain every single day. Um, I've had to learn to manage it. I can whisk along at two or three all day. Sometimes it exacerbates up to eight out of ten, but... I know what I have to do physically. I do not touch opioids because I think that between opioids, um, you know, all the other crap. It's another slippery slope. It doesn't end well. It just doesn't end well at all. And I've already experienced that three times, you know, twice unintentional, one intentional. And um, so I actually Uh, made a choice to get rid of all of it. And it took me two years to withdraw from all the crap that I was put on. And I've, you know, went to alternative healthy healing. Um, eating the right thing, you know, it makes a massive difference, you know, just doing that, Um, not stressing. And that's why I do a lot of practice, a lot of mindfulness and calmness because I think that stress on our body is the biggest killer. Right. I really do. Um, Well, you would know. Yeah, and anxiety and, um, and I think free thinking, which is I think something that's forgotten about a lot these days. If what you do you mean by that? Free thinking. I think that it, we we don't I, – I, because I went from being a participant in that high-performance life to, a, 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 you know, an observer very quickly yeah. and be, became an observer for quite a while, um, I was able to – everything slowed down. I was able to pay more attention to, to, you know, the balances of life and how when that balance is disturbed – Everything changes, and I think that the thing that significantly changes the most is free thinking. And that meaning what I've seen and what I try not to do, and that's why I don't have a presence, I suppose, um, on Facebook or Instagram because, A, I was unlawfully intercepted by um well, I know the court case thing. Yeah, yeah. But and, somebody and, after you. Yeah, no, no, unlawfully intercepted. Every every keystroke I made was was watched, and every email oh, I did, Lord. even my Facebook account, everything was was intercepted. And I found out about it. I was told I had to report it to the police, and that just made me think very differently about yep. being on there, being exposed like that. And also, what it did was. Um, you know, and this is nothing against, uh, this is how I healed. This is how my fractured brain healed. Everybody's different. So if you get, if people get comfort from, you know, being on the screen all the time, then that's fine. Then do it. But, oh, yeah, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing it. wrong with it. But for me personally, I found that um, I needed to look up. Uh, yeah, it was too intrusive. Yeah, I needed to, to look up. I needed to get rid of everything. I needed to 
stimulate my brain in ways that didn't involve the screen, that which was reading and learning, just learning, 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 and reigniting pathways in my brain that had been extinguished because of what had happened. And and I needed to reignite it with the good stuff. I, you know, I didn't watch. I watched comedy for two years straight. I refused <laughs> to watch anything that was yeah, negative. Good. Good idea. What you feed your brain once it's been fractured, if you're not feeding it the good stuff and you're feeding it too much screen, too much violence, too much, then you're recreating pathways in that brain that that's that's that that's is going right. to mirror reflect in your existence. And I just think that if you can try and feed your brain the good stuff, then that's how it will come out, you know. Amazing. And that's just learning. Yeah. So, so what made you decide then that you would get up on the stage and be very brave, especially having had everything that's happened to mm. you, um, um, and use your experience to help others? Well, I think because I understand PTSD now, and I understand anxiety and depression now from a point of view where I didn't before, and I understand how debilitating it is. And if you can just help someone, you know, like I did a talk at the Air Force a few weeks ago, and the feedback was, you know, there was a fellow there that said he he connected with that because that he and he's going to use some of those, you know, sort of suggestions that I had because I'm now learning to fly. Uh, you know, I'm halfway through my own pilot's license. And, but <laughs> you it, are such a ballsy woman. I love it. <laughs> it's just because I loved flying before. I loved it. Yep. And, I, and that was stolen away from me, so I wanted it back, so I took it back. You know, and, and even better that you're doing it as a pilot, so yeah, you're kind of taking yeah, the control as well. Taking the control, and I think it's just that you can sort of say you can take control of, of that, and and it sort of comes into life as well. Take just taking control of it. I'm loving it, just loving it so much. And you know, hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have my class two pilot's license. And just and it's not so much that it's overcoming the fear, but it's that that love of that life that I had, I can still have. Bringing the joy back. If I want to. And then working with the Air Force, talking to our soldiers and, you know, talking to them about the importance of mindfulness, staying calm, staying calm in high-performance situations, extracting what you've learnt from that that world that you used to live in and extracting the good stuff about yourself. Because when you go through a trauma, you seem to extract the bad stuff about yourself and it becomes very dark, dark, the laughter stops, everything stops. If you can change that to go into your history and pull out the good stuff and bring it into who you are now and use that as a way of retraining your brain and moving forward, then I think you can overcome anything. You've got to stay on the light side of it. That's amazing. Opioids, everything like that will steer you down that dark side and then it's you're in a vortex and trying to climb out of that vortex gets harder and harder every time. Right. Yeah. Golly gee. So yeah. so but what what made you want to get back up on the stage again? Did you someone approach you and say Yeah, they did. You, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I had um one of the um pilots from the Air Force used to uh well I don't, I don't know if he still does, but he wrote articles for um Australian Aviation magazine. And right. He did a story on what we had gone through and I spoke to him in detail because I was doing a lot of the work with the Senate, you know, putting submissions in and um, talking to the international delegates. And I talked to this guy because he was very, you know, very knowledgeable about it or everything like that, like really high up. Anyway, he um, contacted me, I think, last year and said, look, we're putting together a high-performance and safety team 
for the Air Force yeah. to, to go around to all the different Air Force bases and discuss what, you know, needs to be discussed, you know, everything. so we did that. Um, so he asked me if I was wanted to be involved in that and I said, yeah, sure. So Good on you. Yeah, we started that, started that last month and COVID's just kicked in so we were supposed to be there this week. Um, I, th- I think the next thing has to be a yeah. book, doesn't it, Coco? Yeah, I, I actually wouldn't mind writing a book. I, I, I've actually started before I had an agent who was um, who got a prologue off me in the first two chapters and then I sort of stopped and right. I'm just like my story wasn't finished. Right. That was three or four years ago and I said it, I can't continue writing because it's not it's actually not finished. And I think that um, I never knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something else. I started a law degree but then right. found sitting upright at uni all day and then sitting upright and studying too was, hard. Make, was making me physical. I was actually vomiting into a plastic bag because the pain was that intense in my spine. And I thought, I can't, I'm not going to be reliable to people. Like, no. So doing this is perfect. I had to just keep searching for it. You know, when I do meditation, like, what is it you want me to do with all this stuff? Like, I know that I've got something to give, but please. You know, show me it, how. Show me how. And I thought it was through law, going to help people who had been in plane crashes. No. So this fella came up and offered me this and I thought, yeah, okay. And then um, in regards to a book, I think it's getting close to the finish, not the finish, but like the full circle. Right. You know. Amazing. Amazing. Now, um, let's just address your name as well because I just remembered that it's not your average cocoa. Where did you get it from? Well, it's a a little saying I used to always have um, when I would sign off on everything, especially when I was writing within the aviation community and even to other people. And it was just um, a motto that I keep for myself because I needed to keep it for myself to keep going. It was keep on keeping on. Right, and then, and then that was eventually just abbreviated to like Ko Ko Ko, and then that was just abbreviated to yeah, people calling me Coco. I mean, my um, daughter's boyfriend he calls me Co, just Co. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's then that's where it came from, and then after the court case, there was you know I had some crazies, you know the media and well, some of the media, yeah, but just some crazy people. So I decided to by the advice of, you know, some people um, change my name to Coco because that's all I was getting called anyway. And then it just makes it safer for me, I suppose, when I do yeah. go and do these things because, you know, my financial stuff's on there. So, yeah. And it, it's very uncomfortable. Um, no, people, I think that's yeah, right. People can look up the actual crash itself. But like, to, I mean, I've had tradesmen say, when they've been doing work on my house, I googled you, and I was like, "Did you?" And I'm like, "Great." You know, and <laughs> gotta I gotta change of, my name. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit uncomfortable, yeah. and you know, just sort of being. Yeah, I think you have to be very aware, especially as a woman. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very aware that if you know you, I mean, look, I love the tradies; they've been fantastic. You know, um, but yeah, just you gotta. No, I, I, I yeah. totally understand yeah. that. Yeah, and that's all, and that's what I was getting caught. And also, every time I would, you know, look at um, Karen Casey, I would see all I would see because my court case went for nine years, and everything else that was associated with it, and you know, all the hospital stuff. 
that's the name that I have always associated that with. And I needed. So that I person need, had the accident and Coco that's, didn't. That's it. I need to move forward and, and start, pretty much start again. Yeah. You know, I've had to retrain this entire brain to, to, to go from being this person like that to this person to, you know, someone, yeah, right. a, a functioning person again. And, um, you know, I've spoken to other people that have changed their names and, and I think it's therapeutic. I do. I, really I, do. I, I, I think really it's do. a terrific idea. Yeah, I really do. Wow, Coco. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what to say because normally mm. I would be saying, are there any things you've learned along the way in your <laughs> journey? Um, yeah. Are there any pivotal moments? All of those are in your story. You are the most extraordinary woman. I am so glad that we met <laughs> at that event. and. Yeah. I have no doubt at all that you're going to be amazing and you're going to help loads and loads of I other people. So. But I hope so because there's, 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 there's suffering from anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress it's disorder. Everywhere. It's everywhere and it's something that can, I believe, be um, really changed, really changed. We just need to, we need to be free thinkers again. We need to, you know, go much further within ourselves and figure it out um yeah and, and trust ourselves trust our past yeah i think there's but so much I think one of the things that i guess i've learned just from interviewing women and there's mm. one that really sticks in mind who you met at the lunch who was abused by most of her family when yeah. she was a child yeah. and then took them all to court and won yeah but she and i've had a few conversations about it and there is definitely something in the fact that you have to consciously try and change your mindset to be positive yeah. and yeah. if you can then it will all sort of come together and it, it will you will heal yeah. but you've just got to always look at the positive even in a shitty situation and try and find yeah. that little silver lining or whatever it is that'll sort of you know totally. allow you to get yeah. through it so you're amazing yeah. Absolutely yeah. amazing. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to go and see you speak if they get the opportunity because what a story. But um, mm-hmm. what is the best way for someone to get hold of you? Not an email address, but is there a website or something people uh, can go to? Not yet. That's kind of, you know, under construction once again because I, it's not a phobia with it. It's more just a do I have to, that sort of thing. Um, but, the answer um, is yes, yes, you do it have is, to. Yes, it is. I know. But, but there's, um, uh, maybe via LinkedIn would, would they contact yeah, you? What, what's the no. best way if Someone wanted to it's, book you, or uh, it's just, there is an email. It's just in, uh, info at beyondusaustralia.com. Okay, and, and Beyond think, Us Australia is not that, your. That, no, that is that's mine. That's I've, okay. I've, I've only just started. That's what I because um, I I believe with any sort of healing and even with like I said, I promote free thinking. We need to look beyond us. Yeah, you know, we, we need to look within, but we need to look beyond us as well. And um, yeah, it's just something that I that. I, I believe that that's what helped me heal the most was having the ability to not be caught up in, I need to take that medication, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this. And I thought, whoa, think, what's best for you? Yeah. You know, and I think that that's, that's what I try and promote for people. So, yeah. Amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a woman. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au.